Well, thank you so much, Beveline, for leading us in prayer, and uh, Bashar for reading that scripture passage for us. As you know, we are making our way passage by passage, verse by verse, through the Sermon on the Mount. Each Sunday, we have slowed down to live in these words, because they guide us in the good life. And this passage of scripture that Bashar has just read for us is so needed for today. How can I not worry? How can I live as a non-anxious presence in an overly anxious world? Only with the help of the Holy Spirit, we live in anxious times. This pandemic is like a weight on our spiritual lives. We haven't eliminated all of our previous stresses in life, but now we have added a lot of new ones. There are worries about getting COVID-19. There's the stress about the effects on my mental health and my physical health. We're worried about the well-being of our loved ones. And then there's the stress of parents homeschooling and working full-time at home. For some households, this isolation has increased marital and family stress. Or some of you might be saying, I'm an extrovert. Who am I anymore when I can't be out and about with others? Or some of you are asking, will the economy ever bounce back? European leaders are calling this the worst economic crisis since World War II. I've lost my job, and I wonder if I'll ever get my job back. Or what does it mean now to save for the future? Or others are asking, how do I create a new pattern of life without my work? Who am I without my job? Families and friends are separated from one another, whether it be across town or around the world. And there are major life events that we don't get to share like we used to. And some of you are saying, is there such a thing as planning for a vacation? And I talked with another friend who said, I'm so stressed out with figuring out all of the technology of Zoom. We can worry about too many things. I was preparing for my sermon and I started worrying about what God God wanted me to say in my sermon about do not worry. I want, to identify, I want you to identify a worry that you have carried this past week. And as you reflect on this anxiety, big or small, I want you to ask, what is Jesus saying to you in light of his teaching? If you have your Bibles handy, I invite you to open them up to Matthew 6, 25 to 34. You know, this word worry has a historical reference to the idea of strangling or being choked. The events of the world and the circumstances of our life have us by the throat and can have the tendency to take our life away if we are not careful. Jesus gave this extended teaching on worry in the Sermon on the Mount 
because he knows how prone we all are to worry. And he knows the impact of worry on our lives. Because worry robs me of my joy. It makes me less attentive to the needs of others. It blocks me from seeing how and where God is at work. It takes away my gratitude. It increases my irritability. It shortens my lifespan. And it stops me from trusting God. Someone said that worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it gets you nowhere. And William Barclay writes, There may be greater sins than worry, but very certainly there is no more disabling sin. Jesus simply says three times in this passage, Do not worry. But here's the rub. In a stressful moment, living without worry seems impossible. You can't not worry only by trying really hard not to worry. To combat worry, Jesus gives us new priorities to focus on. So I want to talk with you about Jesus' four alternatives to worry. Things that we can do today. They may sound so simple, but they are transformative for you and me. First, Jesus simply says, look at the birds. Notice verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? I've discovered that a few people in our church are bird watchers. Angie loves photography of these feathered friends. Ruth loves setting out feeders in her backyard to get a close-up view of the winged creatures from her kitchen window. We learn spiritual lessons when we pay attention to the birds. Who gave the robin such exceptional eyesight that they can spot the tiny end of a worm as it pokes its head out of the soil? How can they be so in tune to notice the movement of the soil so that they can notice its movement and the earthworm just beneath it? How is it that the cedar waxwing knows right where to come to find a feast of berries and then to be on its way after, satisfi- after being satisfied? Jesus simply says, Your heavenly Father feeds them. No grocery stores, no storage units, no gardening, and yet God feeds them. Yes, birds work, but they do not worry. Look at how God cares for them. And remember that so much more he cares for you. Jesus is telling us that we can combat worry by making the birds our teachers. Martin Luther speaks of how a helpless sparrow should become a theologian 
and a preacher to the wisest of men. There are over 900 species of birds in Canada and the U.S. When you watch any one of these birds and stop to listen to their sounds, you learn patience and focus as you watch and wait. To watch a bird in the air requires alertness, and to watch what God will do next requires attentiveness. On your next neighborhood walk, notice the birds, listen to the birds sing, and remember how much more valuable you are to God. Second, consider the flowers. Jesus continues in verses 28 to 30. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? We have hairstylists in our church and in our community who can't wait to get back to work. A hairdresser or a beautician is literally someone who makes a beautiful product out of your hair. And I know that so many of you are just waiting for this beautiful product. But Jesus says, consider the flowers of the field. Study the flowers. The world is full of beauty, and Jesus is aware of this. In the book of Genesis, we read, The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. The flowers on the hillsides have a kind of beauty that cannot be matched. God is the maker of not just basic things, but of beautiful things. God is concerned about your inner life and your outer life. He cares for your soul and for your stomach. He is vitally concerned about your character, but he doesn't forget about your externals, including your hairstyle and the clothes that you wear. But as Jesus speaks of the flowers, after a short lifespan, these majestic flowers are thrown into the fire only to produce ashes. The blossoming beauty of a flower is brief. So too, we can be reminded of the shortness of our own life. Perhaps you remember the closing words at a graveside. Into the earth we commit to you, O Lord, the physical remains of the one whom we love. Earth to earth, ashes to ashes.
dust to dust. The point I want to make is that Jesus loves us so much more than the flowers. In Isaiah 61, we read about the Lord's favor. Because the servant of the Lord was anointed to comfort all who mourn, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a garment of despair. Maybe you can see only the ashes, but Christ came to bring beauty from ashes and to clothe you in his righteousness. Look at the flowers and and have confidence that you are worth so much more. Trust his promise that he will make something lasting and beautiful of your life. Third, seek first the kingdom of God. Matthew 6, 33 is a verse worth highlighting and memorizing. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. A few weeks ago, Pastor Richard took us to Isaiah 58 that tells us, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. As we seek the kingdom of God, Jesus gives us a heart for others, but he challenges our self-centered behavior. Jesus said, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. But he did not say, do not worry about others' lives, what they will eat or drink, or what they will wear. Seeking the kingdom does mean loving others. You know, I am convinced that Jesus was happy about life. For sure, he agonized in Gethsemane as he wrestled with his father's will. But Jesus knew God's goodness. He liked parties. His first miracle was at a wedding. And when Jesus died, the soldiers liked his tunic so much that they didn't tear it up, but they threw dice for it. But the point in our life is our priorities. So here in verse 33, Jesus takes it for granted that every person is a seeker. We all need something to live for to give our hearts to, and we need something on which to set our hearts and minds. And Jesus simplifies our life by reducing our life goals to a choice between two things, personal security or the kingdom of God. How do I deal with my worry? Jesus urges us to anchor our lives in God's kingdom and to do the work of surrendering. The spiritual seeker has one goal, 
seeking God and his will. I'm not sure exactly what you're walking through, but I do know this. You are in a moment of spiritual formation. You cannot control your circumstances, but you can position yourself so that you can do his will. I loved playing soccer as a teenager and a young adult. Even after I played lots of years, I had to be reminded, keep practicing the basics. It might be that for many of us during this season, our basic spiritual rhythms are thrown all out of whack. So keep finding ways in which you can be still with Jesus in scripture and in prayer. And in your isolation, don't let go of companions to help you stay centered on Jesus. One of the best ways to stop the spiral of worries is to share it with a friend. Finding reassurance from a friend is a way that the Holy Spirit helps me to face my worries. And if you are not sure where to start in how to anchor your life in Jesus, why not email prayer at mcbc.org and make a request for one person to pray with you. Fourth, in this passage of scripture, we see another idea of Jesus. It's this, live one day at a time. In verse 34, we read, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus acknowledges trouble and knows trouble. Jesus' prediction for your life is that you will have trouble. When will you have trouble? Each day. Every single day. In Psalm 90, the only psalm attributed to Moses, he affirms what Jesus says. He writes in verse 10, The length of our days is 70 years, or 80 if we have the strength, yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. We who seek to take on the character of Jesus will not be exempt from the basic problems of life. Years ago, I remember my Mennonite grandparents, they had an old book that told stories of those who were martyred. One of those followers of Jesus was a man by the name of Dirk Willems. His devotion to following Jesus got him into trouble in the 1500s, where he was imprisoned simply for sharing his faith. He managed to escape from prison on a winter day. And as the guard pursued him, he crossed over a frozen pond, and he made it safely to the other side. But the guard, who was chasing him, fell through the ice, and he started crying for help. What did this follower of Jesus do? 
he turned around and saved the pursuer. Therefore, Willems was recaptured by the guard and imprisoned again until he was sentenced to be burned at the stake in 1569. I found this strange, this story very strange and captivating. But there is one thing that is the same for him and for us. We are going to experience trouble. It's true for us and also for the world this past week. If we communicate to our children or to new Christians that you should be happy all the time, we are doing people a disservice. That can just create inner turmoil. For a long time, I tried to deny my feelings of sadness or anger or fear because I thought that I shouldn't admit my troubles. I shouldn't feel this way. But God's children are not promised freedom from trouble, but from worry. Jesus gives wise advice. Live one day at a time. We don't have wisdom for tomorrow's problems. We don't have the resources for tomorrow's needs. But we will tomorrow. The trouble that we experience today, whether it is big or small, is a test of our joyful confidence in God. Regret makes you live in the past. Worry makes you live in the future. And God invites us to live in this moment, banishing worry, trusting him for each day. Well, Jesus asks a question. Will you choose these four simple alternatives to worry? Look at the birds. Consider the flowers. Seek first the kingdom. And live just one day at a time. Imagine our church living out this radical teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, being a non-anxious presence in an overly anxious world. So friends, as we come to the conclusion of our service, and as we get ready to sing our closing song and go into the activities of this week, I want you to receive this benediction, this blessing on Pentecost Sunday. May you live with confidence, living like Jesus, and seeking first the kingdom of God. And may you know today that the Holy Spirit is praying for you in your weakness. He will not let go of you. The Holy Spirit is ready to guide you on the road that you travel today. And now may the Spirit of God give you his peace. Amen and amen.